0: don't set yourself up for disappointment by having unreasonable expectations yeah when we have a boring session we just
1: don't recap it
0: it becomes a very pithy email about how we did nothing that week and just went shopping but here are all the turtles we bought For the Mundangerous Tax Shelter in New York City. I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 127 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're sharing how we
1: keep track of notes and key information in our campaigns. But first, the rogue traders find themselves in an explosive situation in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, Ghost Rider reveals the corruption in your soul in the Character Creation Forge. So, Happy New Year. This is, I guess, year three
0: of Total Party Thrill.
1: Yeah, we started in 2015.
0: Yeah, that sounds right. We're in our third calendar year.
1: That's much longer than I thought we would last. Yeah, I know. (laughs) So, coming this year, um, we are going to ramp up um, some of our review content we are going to introduce a couple of new series and we're going to continue some of the old ones. Um, we're also going to roll out some, you know, different kinds of Patreon rewards, but if you've got any suggestions for any or all of that, let us know at TPTcast or total party, thrill at com.
0: Yeah. And I think we would also like to do some more, um, more things like the horror stories and triumphs we've gotten, um, good feedback on those episodes. I think um, giving gamers a chance to share their stories is, is a great opportunity for us. So um, if you have other ideas on ways that we can do that, uh, we're, we definitely want to hear about that as well.
1: I mean, I am all in for uh, D&D drinking stories. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's... <laughs> that Chapter one. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Speaking of
0: overindulging,
1: Shane... Where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign?
0: So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k rogue trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And the rogue traders of the His Enduring Light have just interrupted a heist uh, inside the primary chapel of the sabotaged Chartist Vessel Ambition. And uh, Ishan, who was carrying out that heist that you so rudely interrupted? Uh, Chaos Space Marines. Yeah, three word bearers, uh, Chaos Space Marines, were making off with a holy Imperial reliquary. Uh, and you have managed to interrupt them and kill two of them uh, and wound their sergeant. That's insane. Yeah, no, you guys are, you're rogue traders now. <laughs> like, <laughs> I
1: think mean, this is the first time where we sort of felt like, oh, wait, we are rogue traders. We yeah, I mean, a you, needed, Space
0: Marine. <laughs> you needed a little help from their hubris, but uh, all's fair in love and, and, and war. big big guns (laughs) a little luck with the the dice falling your way but uh yeah i mean you're you're in a position where you're likely to many of you survive this encounter which is a big improvement over where you've started
1: yeah although where we are right now not the best situation because the uh word bearer sergeant is what um uh, carrying the reliquary
0: with like one arm uh, he's actually abandoned the reliquary, but he is carrying your arch-militant Draco uh, with one arm. As a <laughs> and shield. And using his yeah. his unconscious and, and rapidly awaking form as a human shield. We just shoot through him, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> sure. That's a good plan. Uh, so he starts backing himself into a corner. Uh, while you guys are not sure what to do. And uh, Draco kind of wakes up and as a... Uh, As a desperado, he does the only thing he can in this situation, which is try to stall by talking. Uh, And at the very least, he learns that the sergeant has a name, that chaos space marines do have names. Uh, His name is Sergeant Halalaz. That's a name. Which is a fun one to say five times fast. I can't even say it once fast. (laughs) Uh, and, And you guys are a bit puzzled as to what you should be doing next. Uh, you're not sure what the Marine is doing. He's backing himself into a corner. He seems to have your arch militant as a hostage, and you don't know what he's trying to do to get out of this. Uh, But meanwhile, Flare and Echo have arrived uh, in the outer chambers of the chapel.
1: Yeah, hurrying uh, to join the firefight that they heard was going down. But unfortunately, they're here now, and they've got a terrible feeling. Flare senses a warp disturbance of an incoming ship in the system, which means it's arriving really, really close to us.
0: Yeah, if if he can sense it without even being in like you know his choir chamber or anything like that, uh, or, or having any advanced tools, like that's that's a very very close ship. So Jericho is
1: succeeding at getting a bit of exposition from Halalaz. Uh, The sergeant is talking and he lets it slip that the reliquary contains secrets of greater value to the true gods
0: than to your false emperor. And you guys kind of mull that over a bit and uh, not too much longer after that, your Vox starts lighting up with a warning that uh, scans have detected a Chaos Reaver entering the system from the warp. Uh, And not too long after that, the ship's laud-hailers just begin repeating one awful word, like a uh, Swedish death metal lyric. <laughs> ravager! Ravager! Ravager!
1: Yeah, this means we need to leave. We need to leave immediately. We gotta kill this guy, we gotta leave. Which means Draco needs to get out of the
0: way. Which he does. Uh, he, he recognizes that now is the time, and uh, he reacts. He tries to twist out of the Chaos Space Marine's grip. Landing lightly on his feet, Yes. Uh yeah no he lands lightly on his feet you're right uh he's missing his head most of it uh because with a flick of a wrist uh the marine uh, slices his head off with a chain sword those are bad rolls yeah <laughs> not good no yeah uh and and I I think probably what Draco expected
1: realizing that his human shield was no longer useful as a shield Halalaz throws the body aside uh, and then we realize why he's backed himself into a corner. He turns his bolter and a bunch of crack grenades on the chapel window right beside him and pops on his helmet after he blows it out and leaps into the void outside.
0: Yeah so space marine armor is fully uh, fully environmentally sealed so he knows he has time uh, if he can make it out into the void uh, you guys on the other hand are now facing a rapidly decompressing chapel. Yeah the chapel is no longer environmentally sealed And you've got a uh, holy imperial reliquary that contains uh, some apparently important secrets and not a whole lot of time to deal with it. Also, your arch militant, uh, his head is hanging on by just a few remaining sinews. Yeah, we got problems. And we'll find out how we deal with them next week.
1: Alright, so this week we're talking about information management and bookkeeping, both as a GM and as a player. This episode topic is coming from Emma via email. So she writes, I am both a player and a DM, and I often wonder what the best balance is in terms of keeping or remembering information about the campaign. When you both recount your own games, you seem to remember every detail, NPC name and plot point. At my once monthly game, we can hardly remember what happened last session, let alone the name of that one elf we talked to in that town one time. What's your advice about how much info to write down or when to take notes as a player? As a DM, when is it okay to expect my players to remember a name or the details of a conversation and have narrative consequences if they don't? And when should I just give them the info they can't remember? All right, so uh, I think the important thing to remember about the Morning Glory and the Dynasty Unwarranted
0: Recaps is that we cheat a whole bunch. Yeah, don't don't let that be the standard for remembering what happens in a campaign. We... As a rule, send recap emails each week to cover what happened. Uh, just every GM does that now in our group. So, um, and these are usually kind of in an expanded narrative, so more like the uh, recap intro at the beginning of a of an episode of TV or the intro crawl to Star Wars, um, and then for Rogue Trader, I knew that we were going to be recapping it for the show, so I made sure that I covered the details we needed uh in the emails so that we could look back at them and have exactly all the answers we would need so uh we we cheated quite a bit uh compared to i think what a normal gaming group might expect
1: yeah that gives us access to a lot of details which otherwise would probably be lost to you know time or hazy memories um i remember the like high points of old campaigns that i played in when i was younger but i don't remember you know every single thing i couldn't write out the story for you you know we're only able to do that because we're doing it as we're going along right and that's not something you need to do as a gm you know Uh, we did talk about this in episode 101 on intercession communication about uh, writing recap emails so you know you can go back and listen to that one we'll give you a lot more concrete
0: advice so we send our emails out usually a day or two after we play. So it's fresh in the GM's mind. Um, But no one remembers what's in them by the time the next week rolls around. So we always start out a session with a recap. um, And usually like we're drawing short straws uh, and the loser has to find the recap on their email, on their phone and then read it, summarize it sort of semi in character. Uh, And then it just turns into a scrum because every player chips in some detail that was missing from the recap or uh, a a player who missed the session starts asking questions like, why would you do something so stupid? And it's like, well, because we rolled a one, you know, or we rolled a lot of ones or uh, because Trank is an incompetent addict.
1: And rolled uh, 99s and and double zeros. Right. (laughs) Yeah, it's even gotten to the point now where sometimes the recap goes out um, either the night before or even like the morning of the game. So it's actually fresh in everyone's minds. Although sometimes people show up and are like, oh, yeah, I didn't have time to read the recap today. Work was really busy. Right, right. But, you know, during that uh, getting settled time, people can actually go back and read it. Um, Now, it wasn't always like this, though. Uh, We didn't send any recaps for our 4E game. And I didn't send uh, weekly recaps for the Morning Glory campaign which, you know, made piecing together exactly what had happened in that game more of like a team effort, you know. Um, oh, yeah, this is the session where, um, you know, you go after the heart of Katashka, But like, how exactly did you get from like the planes with the Dragon race to like the actual location? I forget what happened in, in between, you know, and someone else would be able to just be like, oh, right. I mean, it was basically, you know,
0: skill checks and we wandered through the wasteland. Yeah yeah and like one year are removed from it it becomes like oh wait that was a whole session that we forgot <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: but it, you know the recaps have become so useful to maintaining the continuity of our games from session to session and they save so much time at the beginning of each session that people have actually started asking for them if one doesn't get sent out like on a Sunday night almost inevitably someone will be like hey is there a recap
0: because like we're playing tomorrow Yeah, or on Monday morning, and it's always like, you know, everyone's at work now. It's like, yeah, I'm trying to get it out. Please, I'm working. Yeah. (laughs) Uh,
1: But yeah, having it helps everyone plan ahead what they're going to do this time. And, you know, like Shane said, it really helps fill in players who missed the session, who didn't get to make it. In terms of uh, the other part of Emma's question about actually keeping notes during the session, um, I never keep notes. I don't think you really keep notes while we're playing, right? No, not really. Um what about as a as a GM? Like when you're running, are you writing stuff
0: down uh to be like, oh I need to remember this for later, man. Whew. Uh yeah, so the notes that I take in set in a session as a GM are entirely tied to the way that I prep my campaign. Um so the way that I I structure my campaign notes is I try to sketch out like the lore of the arc up front. Um, so that I know like kind of what's going on in the background and what is the thing that's setting the characters into motion. Right. So like, um, in rogue trader, I created the planet gauntal and all of its nobility and all the Imperial guardsmen, um, long before you guys walked into a dark Eldar trap, uh, and, and later got led to the planet. Um, and then I have a loose outline within that location or, or in that arc of sort of what are the mysteries or the conspiracies, like um, what's going on behind the scenes. Um, so I knew that like the Dark Eldar had raided Gontilgrim, uh and I knew that Gontilgrim had long been fighting against uh, orcs, right? Um, so all those things I knew. Um, and then in session, all I'm keeping track of is anything any decision that I've made or any declaration that I've made that violates sort of those assumptions, I make a note of it so that I can go back and fix it. Um, that I need to rebuild sort of the background to fit any new information that I have created in the session. Whereas I basically keep everything
1: in my head um, mainly because it's all Schrodinger's plot points. Nothing is, becomes canon until it's actually spoken in session by somebody. Yeah. So, like, when I'm planning out an arc, uh, I've got set-piece scenes or, like, there are general facts that I'll have planned ahead of time. Like, in Morning Glory, I knew that uh, the Lich Queen was going to be working with Shalor toward the end of the campaign. That was going to be revealed. But I had no idea how she was working with Shalor or why she was working with Shalor
0: until maybe, like, a couple sessions before the party actually ran into her. Oh, uh, right. Yeah, see, so I'm I'm similar in that regard in that I don't really lock down any of those facts right like i'm not trying to to manipulate things to fit them um but i cannot keep all of that in my head so i always write down my best idea (laughs) and like and leave that and then if i come up with something better later i just revise my best idea uh but that way i've got at least an idea like something that i know everything fits together in one way uh and i always have the ability to change it later yeah everything in pencil yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, like, you know, every shower thought that I have will be completely wasted. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah,
1: you're right. Like uh, most of the stuff I write down in session is, oh, crap, that just became canon. And I, now I have to remember it.
0: Right. Exactly. Like,
1: uh, names, names I made up on the fly. OK, well, now
0: I got to write down that name because I'm definitely not going to remember it because I just totally pulled it out of my ass. Oh, see, I do the I do the opposite. I write all my names up front uh, and then I fill in what the name got used for afterwards. <laughs> I do that occasionally. I yeah. have like a list of like 14
1: <laughs> angel names. I was like, I'll just pick one of these at some point.
0: Yeah, and then when you use one, you write in, okay, this was the angel who was in this place <laughs> like, and did this to mm-hmm. the party. And then it's like, okay, cool. So I, I know what that character is now, uh, and I'm ready for the next one. Uh, the other thing that I always write down is any gotcha rolls or any... Um, any you know, dramatically ironic or mistaken decisions that get made in a session that the players have made. Um, I want to make sure I note that so that if anybody gets mad at me later, I can say, no, 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 no. Remember in that session, this thing happened or you guys decided this or whatever. And this is how we got here. Uh, Because I like for it to all fit together. And if anybody asks, I want them to understand how the game mechanics influenced where the story went. Mm -hmm. Um, So the, the perfect example of this for me is Uh, flare rolled poorly on a psychic phenomenon Uh, something terrible happened somewhere in the in the galaxy you guys said oh great that's not our problem and it turned out it killed off your rogue trader
1: yeah and having that concrete right Mm -hmm. yeah in the same way also make notes after a session Uh, but now that I'm always doing a recap it sort of serves the same purpose you know um, it helps me remember what happened it it helps uh, canonize exactly what happened, right? It becomes the official record of the session.
0: Yeah, so w- when I plan this week's session, I look at last week's recap uh, because I figure everything I got in the recap is what you guys are going to remember anyway. Yeah. So uh-huh.
1: <laughs> I also realized while I was doing some prep for this episode, I was looking back through some of my old uh, gaming notes and I realized that I never use complete sentences anywhere for anything. That must really aggravate you. Well, I can look back at my notes and be like, what in the hell is this supposed to be for? Like, here's a page. Uh, Who has which items? Next line. Open book. Next line. Lots okay. of information about creating undead. Oh, here. Emery makes deck <laughs> saving throw. Success means auto-fail next save.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I guess I guess that was a little
0: planned out. It was, I'm going to screw Emery. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I can't interpret what those could possibly mean.
1: No, I have no idea. <laughs>
0: the, the ravings of a madman. But it were it worked at the time, right? So like it's it's like
1: throwaway notes. It doesn't need to be it doesn't need to last for posterity. You're jotting something down just for you
0: to use very quickly. Right. Um and that that works for narrative games, um, or, or narrative structures in campaigns. Um I, I think there are definitely games where you have to take a little bit of a more detailed approach. Uh, Blades in the Dark is one thing that comes to mind, just the way that um, the the timers work sort of behind the scenes for the gang. You want to make sure that you're tracking that in a place where uh, they still have meaning.
1: Yeah, I do like to take, you know, 10, 15 minutes afterward when you're running a game and just, especially in a game like that, collate the data, right? Like uh, Jim's running Birthright we take all of our actions but then the enemies take the actions too and i think it is good to think all right if we're playing in like this living world where the enemies are supposed to be responding to what the characters did great you're while you're planning that next session you are planning around what the players did previously but it can help to just do it right then you know as soon as you get home be like okay um the party took these actions, and now basically the the bad guys, the adversaries, or even other factions get their turn. Let me just jot down quickly what it is that they were doing and then when I actually you know plot out what this next session is is going to happen, I already know what occurred
0: elsewhere yep um, and this is super helpful, like you know if you have a um like say you're in like a night's black agents game and the vampire conspiracists. Are tracking down pieces of technology to resurrect uh, Dracula, right? Um, if you are, if if you're keeping track that they have two of the four pieces, and these are the two pieces of technology that they have, um, when the players, you know, switch streams mid session and decide that they're going to go chase down that lead now, you know exactly where they are, so you've already got a background there. You don't have to kind of figure it out on the fly. Um, and that way if they abandon it later and come back to it or whatever, they still have that freedom, but they're still progressing at the same pace. Um, it just gives you a sense of, of where the world is as it's reacting around your players.
1: Yeah. Even if you are, all you're doing is advancing the, uh, the shot clock essentially, right? Yeah. Yeah. I know that the evil ritual, uh, components will have been thoroughly researched in five in-game days right so this one took two days so tick
0: tick right uh and then likewise you know that's always subject to revision so if the pcs are accelerating the pace of the adventure um, faster than you expected them to well just accelerate the plans that you had for the villains as well um so that it stays in a dramatically appropriate place
1: yeah, and since you've been doing that every session, it's much easier to gauge rather than sort of doing it from scratch and being like, uh, "I don't know, they're sixty-five percent complete, I guess." On the mega right. weapon,
0: right? And and the whole purpose of taking the notes is just to make sure that you have confidence when you make when you have to represent what's going on, in the world to your players, right? It, it doesn't. There's no right or wrong. You're not incorrect for having it. Uh, one way or the other. It's just that you want to have the confidence when you're sharing it with them that everything is going to make sense. So you take the notes that you need to have that confidence. And if that's zero notes and zero prep, great, you just saved a bunch of time. And if it's exhaustive prep and exhaustive notes, uh, that's what it takes for you. And that's fine too.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point. You're taking notes when you need them, um, which means that the amount is going to vary but you're only taking them for things you need help with. If uh, you create an NPC and you've got a personality for them and you've just really clicked with them and you are absolutely going to remember like who this NPC is and how to play them next time, great. You don't need to write anything down right you now. But if they're kind of forgetful to you, you might want to just jot down a couple notes on their personality.
0: Yeah, like uh, in the Rogue Trader game, I have absolutely zero notes about... Uh about your rogue trader Silva Lionheart, the new rogue trader. Uh I know everything I need to know about Silva Lionheart because like you guys created her, I created her, um, and she evolves with the story as she needs to, right?
1: Yeah, uh, I, I have nothing written down about Behemoth from Morning Glory. Right. <laughs> He's <laughs> just a it. jerk. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> when given the option, he will be a bigger jerk. <laughs> yes. Big jerk never lies. Right. Meanwhile, Silva is always surprisingly confident. <laughs> that's only compared to us. He, well, yeah, but she's she's just perpetually underestimated and that's like that's her character trait and also her biggest strength. She definitely doesn't know. Oh wait, no, that's a spoiler. Never mind. Yeah, <laughs> we'll
1: get to no, that. <laughs> Scotty doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what about uh, Emma's question about when to help your players remember information that came out
0: in-game previously? So I think this is totally a group-by-group group kind of answer, um, and, and a lot of it comes down to the, the players' expectations and the GM's expectations and, frankly, capacity. Um, but my, my general opinion is that you should be lenient because as a GM, I think about my game constantly, uh, and they don't cause they're players. Um, and they have other things to do and they might even have their own games to think about. Um, and the flip side is if I'm not GMing, you know, I enjoy the luxury of, of not having to constantly think about the game that I'm playing in. So, uh, I don't take notes as a player. Um, so I guess in that way, I'm a bad player, but I, therefore, as a GM, uh, think it's fair to, um, you know, fill in the details. As long as the players remember the broad sketches of of what's going on, like, I will do the heavy lifting for them.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, I don't like to punish players for not being their characters. You know, like, you don't have to have a strong arm to play a melee combatant. You don't need a good memory in order to play the surge character. Um, The PCs in the game are wholly devoted to this story because it's their entire life, right? But yeah, the players are distracted by their actual real life. I think about, um, what is it? The dead alewife sketch, right? The, um, I attack the darkness, you know, uh, there's the line about, um, if you can't remember, then your character can't remember. And that, that always struck me as like, I don't know, needlessly pedantic and, and punishing It's like, well, no, you know, just like, you can just say, well, your character, like you would remember this. Cause like, you know, it just happened two minutes ago in game, even though it was three months ago for us.
0: Right. I, yeah, and I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to be an apologist for players who are not engaged with the story and not engaged with the game and aren't making an effort to remember things or try, um, and and who are expecting you to play their characters for them and to know everything and to tell them what to do. Um, I, I don't think that's fair as a player to do that to your GM. But um, I think there's you, you should absolutely meet each other halfway, right? Like I'm a player, I'm doing the best I can the GM will help me out.
1: Yeah, I think you can tailor some of this to your particular players. Like, okay, Shane, you don't take notes. I don't take notes. Uh, But Jim, Jim takes notes about everything. And that's great for the whole party because Jim has like the quartermaster receipts and he's got the names for all the different people like who are in the company. Um, And so we just need to ask... Jim we don't have to ask the GM we can ask Jim hey man what happened last time he'll just look through his notes and be like oh here here's what happened not everyone needs to be super involved all the time um Cameron asks people all the time hey what happened you know and like all of us then jump in you know Shane you and me and Angelo spend a lot of time very sort of like We spend a lot of time on the minutiae of uh, lore and of like plot points and strategy uh, because not everybody in the group needs to do that.
0: Right. Right. So I think another part of Emma's question that we haven't really addressed yet is how do you train your players to behave differently? Whips. Right. Because she's, she's writing to us because this is a challenge for her. Um, So I think, that's always a challenge right players never behave the way you would ideally like them to but um i I think one thing that you can try is to set up challenges that are easier for their characters if they recognize clues from prior sessions um and i I will borrow from dan abnet in one of his books uh but like something with like a like a a cryptic warning uh, that occurs, you know, in one session, something like, um, like a seer says, be the breaker of chains, but do not topple the towers. Uh, And then a session later, or even earlier, even in the same session, you know, just a few hours later, uh, there's an encounter where you have a series of magical, magical obelisks that are powering up the enemies in the room. Um, If you interrupt the magical tether between the towers the effect ends, but if you break one of the obelisks, it overloads and explodes. So, you know, if you follow, if you remember and follow the warning, then you've pieced together the puzzle and you have gotten a benefit, right? You've made the encounter easier because they're no longer powered up. Uh, but if you just fumble through foolishly, uh, you might end up, you know, singeing your hair a bit uh, and and not getting an elegant solution to your problem. Uh, and if, the, the beauty of doing that over over a couple sessions is that if you send that recap email, all they had to do was look in the recap. You know That quote was in there in, in block letters, and if you had paid attention to it, it would have been right there. And that's the minimum thing you had to do, uh, was just read the recap. But if you don't, then it's not really the GM's responsibility to say, hey, I already kind of did that work for you. So pay attention to the recaps.
1: Yeah, as we said a couple of weeks ago, it's a game of collaborative storytelling, you know? Like, it's not supposed to be that the players just sit there and have the GM tell them the same thing over and over again or give them the answers, you know? Um, So it's totally within your right to be like, you had everything you needed in order to figure out the answer, and if you didn't, then that's a a failure.
0: Right. And that's where, you know, your characters maybe in in an ideal telling of the story, would not have uh, made that mistake because they're smart and competent. But they're also being played by players who are playing a game. And so that's just where it happens that, uh, you know, you're not a writer of of fiction with an editor who can help fix these plot holes. You're you're just working in the moment. Uh, And that's the game. Keep in
1: mind, though, that If you keep running into this problem over and over again, like if no one in your group can keep clues straight across a couple of sessions, then maybe, you know, long drawn out complicated plots aren't the best fit for your group. Maybe they're just not that kind of player. So try using more bottle episodes where everything that you need in order to solve a mystery or a task is present in this particular session. Like you received it this session, you use it this session. Um, or things like uh, one-off riddles. You know, you see a lot of these in dungeons where um, there's uh, carved in the stone above the entrance to the dungeon is the piece of information you need to know in order to defeat the denizen at the center of this labyrinth. Right.
0: Some some prior adventurer left you a message, <laughs> yeah.
1: or you know, crazy wizard who's like, ah, you just need to figure out my riddle. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And then also remember that a gaming group isn't a monolithic entity. Uh, it's rare that you have a group where no one can remember anything or where everyone can remember everything. Uh, so just make sure you aren't having your sessions and your plots hinge on that forgetful player, um, just like you wouldn't plan your session around a player who cancels often.
1: Yeah, like I said, some people in the group are likely going to be a lot more interested in taking notes or doing the long-term planning than other people. So you just let them take the lead. Uh, Because (laughs) the person who isn't really following along and isn't really paying attention more than likely is going to be really happy for someone else to step up and be like, oh, wait, okay, we can figure this out. And, you know, here's the bit of lore that we're missing. And if they're upset about that, well, then, you know, they need to do one or the other. They need to pay attention and step up and like help solve puzzles or they need to like be laid back and let someone else do that
0: yep yep if there's if there's less conflict in what to do or how to interpret things within the players of the group then they will get to the part that they like faster which is probably rolling dice and killing monsters
1: yeah they'll figure out pretty quickly that you know if they want to be more involved in this part of the game all they need to do is pay attention
0: yep so there is one special exception to bookkeeping, uh, Yishin, that I think plagues groups more than more than plot points and more than intrigue, and that's equipment. How do you prefer groups track like what gear they have, what magic items they have, what rations or ammunition? How how do you prefer tracking that?
1: Everybody naked. That's it. No equipment.
0: Okay that solves one that yeah if you just hum, yeah. hunger games it it's real
1: easy yeah there you go it's why people like sword and sorcery right i have a loincloth i have a sword uh literally that's it <laughs> okay sure <laughs> um again i think this comes down to what does your group enjoy you know um there are some games that are really focused on uh, managing your inventory and like rations you know a survival game and there are others where like who cares if you have a mess kit you know or how much the mess kit weighs like I don't usually pay attention to that in a game like D&D past like level three Um, but I'm really meticulous in the kind of gear that I have in Dark Heresy or
0: Dark Sun Yeah, exactly. Right. That is like every pound of water counts. Yeah. I mean, that was that was a challenge for us as a group as we don't generally take notes like Dark Sun, where the survival element was prominent, uh, meant that we had to come up with a whole new pattern of of just tracking how much water and food and, you know, like every scrap of excess gear that we had so that we could turn it into ceramic that we could exchange for more water and food.
1: Yeah, do you remember we wrote, we wrote everything down. We had a uh, triggered crossbow trap.
0: Uh one yeah. turtle upside down. We we had the uh the pelts that we had skinned from some of the uh the tembos, the baby tembos. tembos. Yeah, the baby yeah. tembos that attacked us in the night. <laughs> and we also sold literally the stuffing in quilted armor. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think you almost get into a reverse situation where it's the person who isn't paying attention who kind of benefits in games like this. Whereas, okay, my character, I'm paying a ton of attention. I'm tracking my water. We went another day, so that's two more uh, gallons of water and a ration. And, oh, no, I'm running out. But the person who just isn't paying attention always assumes that they have enough water to drink and enough food to eat. And, you know, they're they're not running short because they haven't been tracking
0: yeah so so is that fair in that kind of game then to to not have every player meticulously tracking it um I don't think it's fair to have the gear
1: not meticulously tracked but I don't think every player has to do it uh, and I think one of the things that we've sort of hit upon is having the quartermaster role you know um pretty much every mid to high level game has someone who kind of acts as the banker you know um we got a reward of this much we have a party fund where if you need to get resurrected or you need to buy hacking gear or like we're paying for the van or outfitting the ship all of that comes out of this fund and there's usually one person who's tracking like how much the engines cost and all of that in the same way i think it's easier to just have one person be like okay the party has like 123 gallons of water You know, because also like it's not like if one person doesn't have water that everyone else won't then ration it out. Right. You're not going to stand there and like watch one character who doesn't who didn't carry enough water, like die of thirst while everyone else continues
0: the game. Usually Uh, depends on your dark heresy flavor. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if you've got, you know, uh, other
1: sheets already rolled up, sure. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah. typically, they'd be like, "All right, we we need to split this up, you know, five ways." Right, right. Uh, and I think usually everyone has a group who there's someone who's more interested in doing that, or maybe they drew the short straw, so they do that, and someone else is tracking
0: the gold, and someone else is like drawing a map or whatever, you know. Yep, yep. And it can be as easy as having a single sheet of paper where you track all of this on and just drawing straws as to who. Is updating it each week, uh, and just in that case, I would just make sure as the GM that you end up with it at the end of the night, so that it doesn't get lost, or you don't have a player, you know, uh, have something come up and have to have to cancel last minute, and then all of a sudden your quartermaster sheet is missing, and you have to wing it for that session. Uh, yeah, you can kind of keep continuity if you keep it in your notes instead of it with the players. We had uh, pretty
1: good results from using a wiki. Where, you know, usually it would be one person who was updating, but it didn't have to be every
0: single time. Yeah, we were using an Obsidian portal page.
1: So I know that at times in this episode we've probably presented what might sound a bit like contradictory advice, but that's because the way that you end up handling this, the amount of hand-holding that you do when giving out information, um, all of it is going to depend on the preferences of your group. And not even just like the people that you play with regularly but like whoever happens to be at your particular table playing a particular game because you know your group's preferences might shift uh depending on what game you're playing or what system you're using and of course it also depends on what you can live with and what you enjoy being a gm
0: yeah uh which is to say there's no wrong answer uh unfortunately like sometimes you just have to go through trial and error to find the middle ground that helps ensure that everyone has fun. And and that's the goal.
1: Yeah, keep trying different things out to find out what works for you and your group. And I think don't be afraid to just literally ask at the table, you know? Um, Do you want me to be telling you more information? Do you want a recap?
0: Or like, do you want to like really work this out on your own? Right. Um, And then lastly... I I can't stress this enough. Do not hold yourself to a standard that's not reasonable uh, for your game, right? So our recaps are are not a reasonable standard to expect that a game will run like, Um, you know, we have the benefit of hindsight and we also get to tailor the narrative uh, to fit a story. Um, Likewise, you know, if you enjoy watching Critical Role or you enjoy watching Acquisitions Inc., um, that's a, a very specific style of game that's being performed for an audience. Um, it, it's pretty unreasonable to expect that your players will treat your home game the same way. Um, so just don't set yourself up for disappointment by having unreasonable expectations.
1: Yeah, when we have a boring session, we just don't recap it.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it, it becomes a very pithy email about how we did nothing that week and just went shopping. <laughs> but here are all the turtles we bought right
1: <laughs> all right do you hear that ishan i didn't know turtles made that sound but i watched a few youtube videos and they really really do
0: okay great let's move on to the character creation forge but before we do that let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us we do love hearing from you you can tweet at shane at mundangerous that's m-u-n dangerous and you can tweet edition at evil sends carne that's
1: malice minus meat And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us
0: at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com.
1: We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill.
0: So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are uh, answering a listener request uh, for Ghost Rider, the Marvel comic character. Uh, This was submitted by at Centaur.
1: Ghost Rider's been around for a long time and had multiple incarnations. I
0: think, what, like four of them thus far, at least? Uh, Uh, I I haven't the faintest clue. The only thing I know about (laughs) Ghost Rider is Nicolas Cage was the movie, and it was not good. All right, I heard about that. I didn't see it. Uh, I
1: saw the Robbie Reyes version on uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which was good. Okay. Yeah. All right, okay.
0: So now that we've established our ghost rider credentials as uh card carrying experts what does ghost rider do? Uh he's a he's a ghost, and he rides on stuff, right? Uh no, well, he's, he's a,
1: not actually a ghost.
0: No. <laughs> no. He he is a flaming skull uh in a biker jacket on a motorcycle. Yes.
1: And uh, in some incarnations of a car rather than a a bike, but that's lame Well, for d d purposes, I think we might use I don't know a horse maybe. Yeah, horse for sure. Ghost Rider is often a melee combatant. um, Can handle a lot of physical punishment, and uh, his mo is basically wreathing himself in hellfire and then punching you with fiery fists or uh, attacking with a weapon that is also now on fire. Yeah, like doesn't he have a chain that's on fire? Yeah, there's often a chain. Uh Okay, all right. Uh, Sometimes the motorcycle is
0: on fire as well. classic mm-hmm. I, I mean ideally you would get a nightmare but uh that'll be kind of up to dm approval
1: yeah i think with the obsidian steed turns into a nightmare doesn't it
0: oh yeah that's right
1: yeah the okay so what is the build it is fiend patron blade packed warlock 14 vengeance paladin 6 and i think we're gonna go with a scourge Asamar here the scourge Asamar
0: being the one who sets everything on fire
1: Uh, Including themselves, yes. (laughs) Okay, perfect. (laughs) Once per day, basically cracks open their own chest, I guess. uh, And then sets a bunch of stuff on fire.
0: Okay, so build-wise, we're taking Paladin so that we can get Fine Steed, because that's the only way to get a reliable and cool mount. But it also fits uh, pretty well if you go Vengeance, because you get uh, Hunter's Mark and Searing Smite, which lets you... uh, create a flaming weapon for a minute. Um, And then your smite ability as a paladin also gives you extra damage. It's radiant, not fire, but you know, what is hellfire really? Um, But that'll, that'll let you do that extra damage to punish um, the guilty. And then of course we take it to six to get extra attack.
1: Plus you'll be increasing uh, your own saving throws. And if you really want uh, allies around you, although Ghost Rider doesn't necessarily play well with others right from warlock which honestly fiend patron is pretty much custom built for ghost rider uh you're gonna get access to the hellish rebuke spell and then later also spells like fire shields which lasts for 10 minutes and wreaths yourself in flame
0: and does damage to other people who attack you right uh, you also get the ability Hurl Through Hell, which allows you to uh, cast somebody through a demonic visage.
1: Uh, you'll get access to, you know, great spells like Fireball. At higher levels, you'll get Investiture of Flame, which does similar things to Fire Shield and <laughs> wreaths you in flame, but also has the nice benefit of making you immune to fire. Uh, and then we're looking for something to become Ghost Rider's Penance Stare, which uh, I believe is Basically, making someone feel what all the guilt of their sins and it pretty much kills them. I think that's it, correct? Um, Uh, based on my brief reading of Wikipedia, yes, I believe that's accurate. That sounds a little bit like a power word kill to me, but that's ninth level and we're not getting those in this build. We didn't really want to have like a 17th level wizard for Ghost Rider, you know, he's not really a wizard, right. Uh, But Xanathar's gives us a nice option in the 6th level spell Mental Prison. Uh, Forces an intelligence saving throw and on a failure does 5d10 psychic damage and then convinces your victim that they are trapped in place inside some sort of horrible visage. That's up to you. And my guess it might be all the terrible things that they've visited upon other people. Or, Or just church. And if they try to escape if they don't face their fate. They take
0: another 10d10 psychic damage. Beautiful. <laughs> if that doesn't sound like penance, I don't know what does. Like Say your Hail Marys or you'll never get out of this mental prison. <laughs> it's, it's basically confession. Right.
1: And I think for a weapon, since your damage die doesn't matter that much because most of your damage is coming from smites, uh, I think go with a whip. Yeah, you could actually use a whip. You know, one-handed reach. It's basically a chain.
0: Okay, Shane. So who's your ghost rider? So my ghost rider began as a paladin of devotion, uh, but failed his deity, Uh, fell in the line of duty, uh, was unable to redeem the fiend or uh, punish the fiend that he was chasing. Uh, and ultimately succumb to his wounds. And in in his last moment, uh, a, a fiend came to him and tempted him. Said, you know, uh, there are shades of gray uh, in the evil spectrum, and the fiends that you fight are more uh, are are worse for your world than I am certainly, and also they're worse for my world than uh, than you are. So I will invest you with my power if you will continue to do what you're doing uh and i know that you will ultimately fail but as long as you promise that i will be the last fiend that you purge from this world then you are free to use my power to continue your your mission uh and in that way um you know uh filled with bitterness uh but ultimately driven by uh the job the paladin falls to a paladin of vengeance. Uh, becomes a warlock, makes a pact with a fiend, and uses that hellfire in order to attempt to bring good to the world, knowing that ultimately uh, the paladin himself is is corrupted uh, in order to carry out this divine mission.
1: Ah, so doing the right things for the wrong reasons.
0: Correct. Well, at least doing the right things for the right reasons with the wrong powers. <laughs> You know, and according to some versions of the alignment spectrum, that's that's called being good. I know, I know. Yeah, that's why you that's why you aren't an oathbreaker paladin. You're you're doing whatever it takes to maintain your oath, including not dying without completing it.
1: Yeah, literally whatever it takes.
0: Yeah, it's a it's got kind of a 40K inquisitor kind of feel to it, too. Yeah, a yeah,
1: bit of a radical. Right.
0: How about you, Ishan? What is what is your
1: ghost rider? All right, my ghostwriter comes at this from the opposite direction. My ghostwriter starts out as a bad person. Um, begins as a warlock, makes that pact with a fiend, you know, no qualms about it. Um, quick path to power, yeah, I'll sell my soul, no big deal. Um, but this fiend, uh, as most devils, is lawful. Um, and so what you find sometimes is that devils want you to do th- do some things that most people, most mortals might actually consider to be a good deed. You, you know? mean like
0: cleaning up demons?
1: Yeah, exactly kill a bunch of demons, uh, handle the ravaging orc hordes you know um, and I think as she adventures as a warlock as she sort of revels in the destruction that she can cause with this hellfire power Um, she realizes that she's actually making the common people's lives really good like they they respect her the kind of respect that she never had when she was just trying to be selfish and and gain power Um, they welcome them welcome her into their home because she's their protector and you know they don't really care that her like eyes are blood red and occasionally she gets wrapped in flames she does that to destroy the orcs right you know Right. Um, clerics call fire from the sky. They don't know that she's made a deal with a devil. <laughs> sure, and I think this get this gets to her, and she says, "You know, maybe helping other people and being being, for lack of a better term, good, uh, isn't all that bad." Uh, and becomes a a paladin. Doesn't doesn't get rid of the fiend. You know, still says, "You know what? The fiend is useful to me. The fiend." gives me power but my goal now is is to be a cleansing fire to actually do some good while I've got you know with what time I've got left before I get dragged
0: to the nine hells right I like that so in in your case then you would start warlock one then take the paladin levels
1: yeah or even go a little
0: higher in warlock
1: two yeah maybe even like five and grab
0: fireball yeah cool All right, before we wrap up, we want to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters.
1: Yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to do this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash total party thrill.
0: And you can also leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, We have a five star review written by Ryan Dwyer. This is knowledgeable, witty and informative. Five stars. This podcast is one of the few that I will drop whatever I'm doing to listen whenever a new episode comes out. I DM many campaigns of D&D, and I will often assign specific episodes of this podcast as homework for my players in order to help them grow both in their knowledge of the system and as role players. This podcast has changed the way I develop campaigns and sessions massively for the better. And anyone interested in running or playing a tabletop game should consider this podcast a must-listen. Aside from the show itself, the hosts are extremely nice and funny outside of the actual podcast. I often message them on Twitter with ideas for episodes, Warhammer 40k lore questions, or other random messages, and each time I receive a kind, witty, and earnest response. Wow, that sounds like we paid for it. I am terrified that uh, anything that I do could be considered homework for another person.
1: (laughs) Oh, no, I I dig that.
0: (laughs) No, I I don't want that kind of...
1: I don't want that stain on my soul. Here's your next assignment. I want you to go through all of the 5e spells and pull out the ones uh, that are only usable by one single class. That's actually something <laughs> I've been looking for, uh, and I haven't found an easy list. Right.
0: <laughs> so what do we have planned for next week's episode?
1: We're continuing our series on campaign settings, and we're going to be talking about Birthright. And in a character creation forge. We'll be
0: building that on Rove Manslayer. Well, that's it for episode 127 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane.
1: And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening.